the book of Romans in the first chapter. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 1. We left off here. We're going through the book of Romans. We left off at verse 8 last Sunday. We're going to try to finish up chapter 1 today. We may go back into it some next week and define some terms for you. But we'll try to finish it today if we can. Our focus today is the unrighteousness of men. The unrighteousness of men. Verse 8, Romans chapter 1. Paul has just finished his greeting to them. He talks about his desire to go to them and preach the gospel. And then he gets into an interpretation of the wrath of God. And that's what we'll talk about this morning. The unrighteousness of men and the wrath of God. What did God save us from when he saved us? What difference did it make? What changes were made when we got born again? Verse 8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Let's do this for the sake of, of reading and time because I'm going to cover these scriptures. But go over to verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. We ask God that you would have your way. Let your will be done. We ask in each one of our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. <clears throat> Paul begins his letter to the Romans here with a greeting. And then he goes and he states his reason for writing the letter. His purpose is he wants to visit them and preach the gospel to the Gentiles that are in Rome. Verse 8, he says, first and foremost, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. So he begins to praise the Lord for the people of the church that is in Rome. He says, because their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Their faith. It's spoken of, of the, by the believers and also by the unbelievers. The awesome faith that they had. The faith. <clears throat> the problem with the church today is that it has become so diverse in what it believes. There's so many teachings and so many doctrines that are not really in the Bible. And then the ones that are in the Bible, preachers today are not wanting to preach those. In fact, just last night I heard, uh, I have a Dominion Sky Angel uh, receive that. 
And uh, they have a lot of religious broadcasting on that um, format. And I heard a, a minister in Texas who has a very, very large church in Houston. In fact, they packed out a huge coliseum that they have just renovated. And I heard this man last night uh, make a statement that shocked me. And the statement was, I will never preach the judgment of God to you. He pledged. He literally stood up in the midst of a coliseum full of people. And he made this statement, I will never preach judgment nor condemnation. I'm telling you that the world as a whole and our nation is set for great apostasy. When you have so-called ministers stand up and pledge that they will never preach judgment or condemnation. That basically what they're saying is they will not preach the word of God. <clears throat> Paul writes to the Romans. He talks about the faith. There's only one faith. There are a lot of denominations today because they don't preach the faith. But be clear in your mind, there is only one faith. There's only one way to God. All roads don't lead to Jesus. All roads don't lead to God. And all roads don't save you. And so there, there is great, great struggle right now in, in the kingdom uh, for people to walk with God in truth. And you're going to see why they don't in this passage. It is not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. Do you understand that? Uh, primarily it's not in America especially because people don't have the Bible or have truth. It is because they don't want God. They don't want the truth. And you're going to see that as we look at this. So I am very concerned. Um, just burdened really. Uh, we need to pray for these men who make statements like that. That they will turn to God. And they'll get right with God because they're going to lead hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people into hell and perdition. So we need to get back to the Word of God. And we need to start preaching the Word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, so Paul talks about the faith that was in Rome. It's one faith. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Not many lords, many faiths and many baptisms one lord one faith one baptism ephesians 4 says that so the faith of the roman church was spoken of the faith it was smoke spoken of by the believer and also by the unbeliever it was known throughout the world what they believed and the faith that they had the the doctrine and the belief that they had in god we talk about faith we're talking about their belief and their doctrine okay and that faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. What an awesome church was in Rome. We talked about how they were separated or set apart. Even in the midst of great paganism. And if they could be set apart. We talked about this last week. Set apart unto God. Then we the living, uh, the church of the living God here in Odessa should be able to do the same. And we will do the same by the grace of God. Amen. So he's, he's praising them, if you will, uh, commending them for the faith that was spoken throughout the whole world. And then he says in verse 9, My God, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, the good news of his Son, 
that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. So the good news that is in His Son, the gospel that it is in His Son, the finished work of the cross, the righteousness of God that is revealed to man. And we're going to talk about this good news, this goodness of God, and what He has saved us from. He has saved us out from underneath or out from the old age. Or the Bible talks about it, the old man. Or the first Adam. And when you talk about the old age, the, la uh, the first, or uh, the old, yeah, the old age and the first Adam, uh, you're talking about a system, uh, the condition of man's lostness. So, so you'll understand what I'm talking about. What God has saved us out from the, the old age, the old man, the old Adam, it, this passing, fading system. It is man's lost condition. When we talk about the old age, so you'll know what we're, we're trying to get across to you. Man's lost condition and everything that is in the world that is a part of that condition is the old age. And that is what God has saved us out of. We have been translated into a new age in Jesus Christ. We have been brought from death to life. We have been brought from darkness to light. We have been brought from a lost condition into a safe condition an unrighteous condition to a righteous condition one of having at one time been under the wrath of God and now no longer under the wrath of God okay now some people talk about the wrath of God in the context of the future wrath of God the day of the Lord and we just finished the book of Revelation so you're very familiar with that end time wrath of God but in the book of Romans, we're not primarily talking about some future end time wrath of God called the day of the Lord. We are talking about His abiding wrath against sin. Okay? And so when you talk about what God has saved us from, you're talking about He saved us from His wrath. And that's good news. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says he serves in his spirit in the gospel of his Son. That without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. What is his prayer? Making request. He's asking God if, it, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Not my will, he says, but God's will. That I come to you in Rome and preach the gospel in Rome. Because he didn't start this church. He wasn't the founder of it. Okay. So it, there's a church in Rome, but he wants to go preach over there to them. And so he's asking God to give him a prosperous journey and also that his will would come to pass in his life. And then he says, verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. He doesn't mean that when he gets there he's going to impart uh, spiritual gifts, you know, in the sense of 1 Corinthians 12. Okay. He's talking about imparting them a spiritual gift, something uh, which is a measure of truth that he's going to give them, something of the Word of God. He wants to preach to them the gospel. He wants to give them a clear understanding of the Word of God. Not that he's going to go lay hands on somebody and make a prophet out of them. Or go to somebody, lay hands on them, and make an apostle out of them. Men don't make apostles out of men, and men don't make prophets out of men. 
that is a, a call of God upon a person's life. So he's not talking about, you know, okay, I'm going to give you the gift of miracles, and I'm going to give you the gift of healing, and I'm going to give you the gift of prophecy, and I'm going to make you an apostle. That's not what he's talking about here, all right? These are, those gifts are according to the sovereign will of God. God imparts them to people and operates through people in these gifts. So these apostles are not talking about what <clears throat> when the, or our time in modern days, uh, in the early 1900s when the Holy Ghost was poured out, and people were speaking with other tongues, uh, around the 1940s or thereabouts, there was a, a movement called the Latter Rain Movement that taught that you could impart spiritual gifts to people by praying over them. So things got out of hand. And, and uh, even in Pentecostal apostolic circles, all right, people started drifting and getting into strange things. You don't impart a gift of the Spirit or a, an office to somebody uh, as a man. Praise the Lord. This is something that God does. So when he comes to impart some spiritual gift to them, it's not like you're thinking about 1 Corinthians 12 or Ephesians 4, the gifts of the Spirit or apostolic uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teacher ministry. It's the word of the Lord. It's some truth that he's going to bring to them, okay? So be careful about that. And, it, you know, you can recognize an anointing that is in the house, a prophetic anointing in the house, uh, that God may want to place on certain men, you can recognize their gifting and their calling and the gifts of the Spirit that operate sometimes in men, but it's not something you gave them. So you've got to be careful about what you read into this text here, okay? Uh, so his purpose is that he might impart unto them some spiritual gift to the end they might be established. He wants to establish them in truth okay and so he goes on that is that I may be comforted together with you by mutual faith both of you and me when I get there we're going to encourage each other he said in his understanding when he goes to preach to them he is an apostle okay when he goes and preach the word of God to them he is not going as somebody that is bigger than they are in his mind Although he is an authority, in his mind, he's not saying, okay, I'm big eye and you're little eye. All right, all right. He says, when I get there, we're going to encourage each other. Right, I'm going to impart to you what I can impart to you. And you're going to impart to me what you can impart to me. And it's going to be a mutual thing. It's not going to be lopsided, one-sided, where you just give to me or I just give to you. It's going to be a mutual thing that takes place. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to give you what I have, and you're going to encourage me, and you're going to give back. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And that's the way it has to be. So again, Paul doesn't see himself as some big chief, although he was. Don't get me wrong. He doesn't see himself that way, though. He is going to be uh, imparting encouragement to them, and in the same, uh, they're going to encourage him in the things of God. Okay? And then he goes on, and he says this, verse 13. Now I, not, I would not have you ignorant brethren that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you. He wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go all the way to Spain as we'll see in the end of the book of Romans. And uh, church history, Eusebius, a church history and historian says that he preached the, the gospel all over Rome. You know, and we know how he got there as a prisoner. 
But then he was released. And after he was released, then he preached the gospel in Rome. And it's church history says he made it to Spain and to the furthest parts of Rome before he was later captured again and then uh, put to death in Rome. All right? So anyway, he wanted to come often, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. He wanted to win more souls in Rome. Also, he wanted to bless their life so that there would be fruit uh, of his ministry in Rome. Amen? Okay. Now, the Bible says in verse 14, he says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks. This thing drove him, the preaching of the gospel. He had persecuted the church in his early days. But now he's converted and he's an apostle. And he wants to preach the word of God in Rome. And he looks at himself as a debtor. You know, and it's a debt he can't pay. And it's a debt that I can't pay. What God has done for me and the salvation I have, there's no way I could ever pay God back. And I'm, the debt is just too great. But nonetheless, I'm still a debtor. I'm not trying to purchase my salvation. But man, I owe God my life, my eternal life. He's given to me this gift. And, and I, so Paul looked at himself as a debtor. He owed, he owed the world this message. He owed the world this gospel. He owed it to these people to go there and preach to them. He owed, that's the way he looked at it. I owe the world. I've got to preach this gospel to the world. I, I'm a debtor to the world. I've got to take it. And that's the way Paul uh, looked at it. And he was driven that way. And people have studied the journeys and mapped it out. And the miles says that he traveled over 12,000 miles landing and sea on foot and by ship to preach that gospel to the world he was an awesome apostle of God and this is what drove him his love for God he's set apart as apostle to God but he looked at a debt as a debt that he needed to, to spread this gospel to everybody that he possibly could and so he says I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians he says I'm a debtor to the wise intellects he goes on and says to the wise and the unwise he says, I'm a debtor to the Greeks, those that speak, those that are refined, those that are intellectual, those that are educated. You with me here? Uh, and then he says to the bar barbarians also. A barbarian was somebody that, that did not speak the Greek language. So if you couldn't speak the Greek language in, in Paul's day, they called you a barbarian. Or not too intelligent, or not too, let's put it this way, not, not a lack of intelligence, but a lack of education. Because there's a lot of people who are educated who are not intelligent. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of people who are educated who are not intelligent. But these people, they probably were intelligent, but they weren't, in ed they weren't educated. <laughs> so Paul says, I'm a debtor to the Greek uh, and to the barbarians, to the educated and the uneducated, to the Greek speaking and to the non-Greek speaking. Both to the wise and to the unwise. I like the way Brother Dice preached this one time. When I was in Crane pastoring there. He went and preached a youth conference for us over there in Crane. And he, the way he interpreted it. This is, was his translation. He, he interpreted the barbarians as the blockheads. That's Brother Dice for you. You know that was his translation. Uh, so the, to the educated and then he said to the blockheads too. 
so. Praise the Lord. And that's the way Paul looked at it. Hallelujah. He was an awesome soul winner. Another thing I remember Brother Dye saying in that, con- in that little youth convention thing there. He said, you know, a lot of preachers are keepers of the aquarium instead of fishers of men. He said, I don't want to be a keeper of an aquarium. I want to be a fisher of men. See, Paul was not just a keeper of the aquarium. He was a fisher of men. He was a soul winner. He was a debtor to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the educated and to the uneducated, educated and the blockheads. Hallelujah. Do you understand what we're talking about here? Again, we're not dealing with intelligence. How many of y'all have ever been around, around an educated person that was not intelligent? They didn't have enough sense to get out of the rain. There are people that are not educated, man. They've got the ability, they've got skill, they can build houses, they can do all kinds of things, and they haven't ever been to college. They're intelligent. Praise God. You know, I've, I've pastored a few people, you know, that's got education. There's nothing wrong with education. But I'm thinking, you're an educated man, but you're not an intelligent man. <laughs> okay, boy, I can see some of you starting, starting to think about that. You're getting a little bit self-conscious, aren't you? <laughs> you're starting to wonder, am I that educated man who is not intelligent? <laughs> But you might be an intelligent man and not educated. You understand that. Praise the Lord. But anyway, Paul saw himself as a debtor to preach this gospel to all these various people. Didn't matter what race they were. Didn't matter what social level they were at. It didn't matter what level of education they had. Didn't make any difference to Paul. Saw them all as people that needed the gospel, that needed the Lord Jesus Christ. All those distinctions that, that we like to place and like to see in society made no difference to Paul at all. The main thing was get the gospel out to everybody. To the educated, the non-educated. You with me here? The wise, the unwise. So much as, so as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Not ashamed of it. For it is the power of God unto salvation. The good news of Jesus Christ. It's not just the good news about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the good news. The good news of God. That he's come, he's died, buried, rose again, ascended up so that you could be saved, so that you could be made the righteousness of Christ. So that you could be declared that. Remember we talked about righteousness, it's not impartation. He didn't impart righteousness to you because if he did, you would be completely without any sin nature. Your sin nature would have been completely eradicated. What he did was he declared or imputed righteousness to you. Which means he put it on your account. You with me here? Jesus became sin for us. That doesn't mean he became a sinner. That means that your sin was put on his account. So I, we are declared righteous by what Jesus Christ has done. That's the good news. And that's what Paul wanted to go out and preach. 
that you can be right with God. And that's the heart cry of all men. How can a man be right with God? A woman be right with God? That's your heart cry. Paul says, I got good news for you. Let me tell you how. It's through what Jesus Christ did to you. You can have that declared to your account. Because he took your sin on his account. There's been a great exchange that has taken place here. There has been the transforming power of God that has been given to you. And it's a gift from God based on what Jesus Christ has done. That is good news. That I'm not good enough. I can't work for it. It is a free gift from God. It's by the grace of God. Now once I have been declared righteous, I'll preach against sin like I've never preached against sin. I'll live holy like I've never lived holy before. I'll, I'll live righteous if I am righteous. The, the greater understanding I have of my righteousness in God makes me more on fire against sin. Because then I understand that the unrighteousness of men is what I've been delivered from and that destroys us. Doesn't make me easy on sin. Doesn't make me want to give license to sin. It makes me want to preach harder against it. Makes me want to take a stronger stand against it. Because that is what killed the Lord. And that's what destroys people. But the good news is we can be made righteous or declared righteous. Or justification is the word. Justification. Right standing. That's powerful. And that's what Paul wanted to preach. So he said, I'm not ashamed of this good news of Christ, for it's the power of God and his salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice, the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And when Paul went and preached, wherever he went, he went to the synagogue first and he preached Jesus. Amen. Because he, as a Jewish man, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, tried to obtain salvation by good works at some point in his life. But the law slew him. What that means is it drove him to Christ. You with me here? He just got utterly frustrated. Driving him to the Lord. So then he goes to his fellow Jewish people because he's a Messianic Jew. And he's preaching to the Jews first. Synagogue. He goes in there and he preaches them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then also to the Greek. The gospels for the whole world. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Remember we talked about that, G, that God is called righteous. Righteous. It's the Lord the righteous one. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. And he's the righteous one. Right, and this righteousness of God is revealed in this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ it's revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith or by faith shall the just live so our faith in him our trust in him our believing the message of the gospel that right now I might not feel it, might not feel saved, might not think I'm saved. But if I believe it, that Jesus died for me. And because I've been born again of the water and the spirit, 
Right now I am in a right relationship with God. And the heart cry, how can I be right with God, is answered in this passage. It's through Jesus Christ. Now, here's, now let me get to the message today. I just gave you a little background here. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It is written, the just shall live by faith, or by faith shall the just live. It is not a one-time thing. It is an ongoing, continual believing that he's talking about here. Okay, you with me here? Do you understand? And so he goes on and he talks about what we have been saved from, from when we understand what Jesus has done for us, the good news, has been declared to our account. He talks about what we've been delivered from. When you came into the kingdom of God, have you ever wondered, well, what difference did it make? What changes actually took place when I came into the gospel? How did it change me? How did it affect my life? What difference did it make? And Paul, first thing he hits is this. Here's what the difference is. Number one, you've been saved from the wrath of God. And it's not some future thing, some future event only. But it is a present wrath of God. Do you understand that the wrath of God biblically is not just talking about some future day of the Lord? When the Bible talks about the wrath of God, it is talking about His set way against sin. It is because God is who He is. He's holy then he has to set himself up actively against sin. His active way against unrighteousness of men is his wrath. So that any, anything that rises up against God or rejects God automatically has the wrath of God against it. And it, what happens is, if, let me just put it this way. If I reject the Lord and I stand up against God, it, God doesn't get all red-faced up there and emotional. See, He's not like men. We, <laughs> when we get angry, we rise in passion and then we decrease over time. Okay, so when we talk about the wrath of God, it's not God just getting all emotional. It is God's set way against sin. So that if any time I rise up against God, I set in operation destruction against my life. It's automatic. Because God, it's not, he, he don't get emotional, you know what I'm saying? It's just who He is. It's His set way against sin. It's the wrath of God. It's the wrath of God. His set way against the lost condition of men. You understand? It's his uh, judgment, his active judgment against the old age, the old Adam, the lost condition of man, and everything that is in the world that is related to that lost condition. God's wrath is against it right now. It's not something that's going to come. It's a, a, something that is here now. Let's go to John 3. So you can understand what God saved you from. And I think you'll be surprised as we look at this. Uh, a lot of times we think of the wrath of God as uh, all these destructive forces that are going to hit this planet and 
you know what I'm talking about, like the book of Revelation and beyond. That's the way we look at it. But I want to show you from the book of Romans perspective that the wrath of God is not when he's throwing down big hailstones upon the earth. That is going to happen. It's much more than that, and it's, it's even more serious than that, okay? John 3, and I, I know you're going to be blessed. Thank you for being patient with me as I lay the groundwork here. Verse 36 of John 3. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. In a present tense. If you are not in Christ today, the wrath of God abides upon you, present tense, right now. Because it's his set way, his active judgment against sin. Do you understand that? And we're not talking about, when we talk about people who are under the wrath of God, we're not talking about just the people who've heard the word of God and rejected it. We're talking about the whole system. We're talking about everybody outside of Christ that's under the wrath of God. We're talking about all religions of the world that are outside, that preach a different, a different word, you know. It's not the gospel. They preach a false doctrine. All religions of the world are an effort of man to run away from God. Except the faith, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything else is a running of man away from God. Alright? So if somebody wants to debate with me uh, about, you know, the faith, the Christian faith, and let's say they're a Muslim. And let's get together, let's debate this. No! Because it's not debatable. It's not debatable. I will not debate a Muslim about the faith because it's not debatable. All their religion is, all these religions are nothing more than man's attempt to run from God. So there is no comparison. You can't compare it. So the wrath of God is against all of it. It's against churches that don't preach the truth, that call themselves a church. They are under the wrath of God because they're a part of the world system. That's why the world accepts them. Because they accept their own. One man said, well, I had so much opposition. People said that it would, we couldn't make it this large. You know. Uh, I got to thinking to myself, I could have predicted the otherwise. That you would have succeeded in your endeavor to purchase this huge coliseum and fill it up because you don't preach the word of God. You preach philosophy and psychology of men. Now, let me tell you on the other hand, there's parts of the world where, where the truth is preached and they come by hundreds and thousands. So I'm not saying that just because, you know, I'm jealous that this guy's got a big building and I don't. I could care less about that. What I'm telling you is this. Is that a lot of people who say, well, you know, uh, we had a lot of opposition. And people didn't think we'll be able to get this building like this, you know, and fill it up like this. And I'm thinking, if you'd have come talk to me, I could have told you just the opposite. I would have told you, you will succeed. Because you preach nothing but what men want to hear. You are a humanistic preacher. 
and you preach nothing but philosophy and you tickle the ears of people and so you will succeed because people want that they don't want God but they want that Lord help me I feel the Holy Ghost and so any church system and any preacher who doesn't preach the word of the living God doesn't matter how large it is or how small it is it abides under the wrath of God that's where it is they're going to succeed in this age and in this world because people are trying to run from the light listen to me church now he says so he tells us in John 3 that he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides on him Jesus is the difference what you believe about Jesus and what you preach about Jesus makes the difference so that the professing church world abides under the wrath of God false religions abide under the wrath of God nations abide under the wrath of God the whole thing lost man whether he be religious man or otherwise Judaism hear me Judaism lies under the wrath of God just like the false church system abides under the wrath of God I'm going to prove it to you because he even talks about that in the second chapter of Romans he said the, even the Jew is under the wrath of God because just because you got the word doesn't mean you're right with God so the Jew walked around all smug, you know, oh, we got the Bible, you know. We got the Torah. We got the Word of God. Paul says you're under the wrath of God too. Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? And so let me just bring it to you right here. We in America, we got the Bible. But that doesn't mean that we're right with God. So Americans, we throw up our nose, yeah. Oh, those old heathens over there, you know. Well, the greater judgment rests upon America. God's going to judge America harder than he judges the heathen over there, you know. Because we have light, but we're not doing it. So just because you hear it, just because you have it, doesn't make you right with God. You can be good morally to a point, you know. It doesn't mean that you're out from underneath the wrath of God. Do you understand what I'm trying to get across to you today? <clears throat> so, I, I wish he'd have called me, you know, like he really would. <laughs> what do you think? You think we'll succeed? Sure you will. I know you will. You'll pack the stadium out. Because you only preach a little bit. And you don't tell the people all the truth. You tell them what they want to hear. You tell them to, to come up to the front, accept Jesus as your Savior, and then go back and do what you used to do. Go back and be who you used to be. Are you funny? When you came into the new age, you came into the kingdom of God, Paul talks about it. Should we continue in sin? He said, absolutely not. You with me here? So anyway, I kind of, let me just, 
So you understand there's an abiding wrath of God. That the whole world is under, the whole age is under, the whole old Adam is under, the whole system, religion or otherwise. The whole lost condition of men. And everything that's a part of it has the wrath of God abiding on it now. Right now. Do you understand these things? If I'm rejecting the Lord and I'm walking in sin, it's not like, you know, the Father just gets all red-faced and just, okay, I'm going to let him have it now. No. Because he is who he is. That destructive force is set in my life. It's called the wrath of God. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean God's going to let me have it? No. He might let you prosper. Oh, this is it. They're going to blow your mind this morning. You understand? If somebody ever does something wrong to you, you say, oh, God, Lord Jesus, let them have it. Oh, I just know God's going to judge them. <clears throat> right? And, what, and, and that may be true, but when we think about it, we're thinking it like this. Okay, well, their business is going to fail. They're going to lose their home, lose their cars. You know what I'm saying? They're going to just financially flop. But we, that's the way we think about God getting them or the wrath of God coming against them. But the Bible doesn't tell us that that's going to be the result of the wrath of God. You might look at people who are Christ rejectors. God rejectors, people who've even heard the truth, sat beside you in church, walked out on God and watched their life blossom and prosper. And you're saying, nothing happened to them. That's where you're wrong. And I'm going to show you what God says his wrath is. It's not them losing their cars and their families and, and all of that. They could be prospering like never before, flourishing. Bigger homes, bigger cars. But under the wrath of God. Because we don't understand the wrath of God. Again, because it's not his, up there, man, okay, I'm going to let him have it now, you know. You with me? Paul goes out, he writes about it. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed right now. From heaven against all ungodliness. Every bit of it. His wrath is already abiding on him presently. Present tense. His wrath is abiding on this world right now. His wrath is upon the nation U.S. right now. His wrath now. Not going to come now. And I'm going to show you how. The Bible says. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All of it. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The word hold the truth in unrighteousness means they suppress the truth. Which means they don't want the truth. So it's not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. They suppress it. They hold it down. Y'all ever heard, you know, there's a, in the psychiatric world, they have a term that they use when they're counseling people. Repression. Repress those thoughts. Which means any thought that you don't want, just push it 
down or push it aside or just get rid of it. That's repression. You understand? And so when they hold the truth and unrighteous, they suppress the truth or they hold it down. They don't want it. So it's not an intellectual thing. They're plenty intelligent. That's my point. <laughs> they might not be educated, but they're intelligent. The problem is a moral problem today. Not an intellectual problem today. Because the heathen can go out and look at the creation. And the creation preaches to them. So it's not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. They hold it down. You know what I mean? You know, if it ever gets too hot, you know, the Word of God's going. Let me just be there. It's really going forth, you know. And God's really, the Word is really speaking to your life. And, and it's really hitting you, you know, right between the eyes. And really. You ever get this spirit rise up in you? Mm, try to hold that down, boy. Or that conviction, you know, that's in your life right now about wrongdoing and unrighteousness and sin that's there. And you, oh, man, and it's just God's word and his spirit's convicting you. And you're just trying to, hmm, I got to hold that. Mm, boy, that's, I'll push that aside. I, you know, I want peace in my sin. Okay. But God's wrath is against that. And that destructive force is in my life right now. Even as a believer. Oh yeah. You'll see what I'm talking about. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. Let me give you an example. 4,500 years ago, everybody believed in God. There was not one man or one woman on the earth... 4,500 years ago that did not believe in God. Shortly after the flood. 1,500, 1,600 or so. Are you with me here? Right after the flood, when they came out of the, uh, the ark of God, after he poured out his wrath, when Noah and his wife, his sons and their wives walked out of the ark, there was not an unbeliever among them. Everybody believed in God at some point in history. You understand? But there came a time when a man by the name of Cush, the son of Ham, decided that he's not going to walk in that faith. So he rejected, he walked away from God, and his son Nimrod, Cush's son Nimrod, took it to its highest form in that day of rejecting God, an apostate religious system, a world, one world government system, and a one world leader under Nimrod was established. So man started out with God and then degenerated away from God. Do you understand? And how did that happen? Suppression. Holding the truth back. Rejecting the light, rejecting the word of God, walking away from it, and eventually, what is the result of that? Full blown apostasy, the Tower of Babel, Babylon. Do you understand what we're trying to show you here? So it's amazing to me at one point that the whole world believed, but they walked away from it. They walked, not the whole world, but Many walked, Cush, the Nimrod, etc., walked away from it. 
Right? Do you understand? They hold the truth in unrighteous. They suppress it. It's not that they don't understand it. You know, people say, I just don't understand. I don't understand. Yes, you do understand it. The problem is you don't want God. You don't want the light. You don't want the truth. You do, but you don't. Got it? Look, for example, of another man in the Bible. His name was Pharaoh. Pharaoh. God's goodness came to Pharaoh in Egypt. Do you understand? See, the characteristics we're going to see in this chapter are back in the days of Nimrod and the Tower of Babel. It was in Egypt and Pharaoh, etc. And it's with us today. Okay? What happened was is that God's goodness shows up in and through a man by the name of Moses. And God sends ten goodnesses to Egypt. The Bible calls them plagues. But really it was His goodness. You with me? His goodness. Let me show you something. Pharaoh held the truth in and right. He suppressed the truth. The goodness of God. The truth that was in God through Moses. Right? The Bible says, watch. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. Right? Amen. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So in the days of Noah come out of the ark, everybody believed, then they departed from the truth. The days of Egypt and the Pharaoh, God's goodness came to them. The Word of God came forth, and they suppressed it. They held it down. And Paul is trying to show you here that the whole, all of mankind has the ability to look at God's creation and come to the conclusion that there is a God. So it's not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. That man out there in the, you know, we call him the heathen. In the forest somewhere. The little tribes. That man has the ability to know there's a God. And he has the ability to know there's only one God. He might not know who, what his name is. It takes somebody to tell him what his name is if God doesn't show up to him. And personally tell him. But creation declares there's a God and there's only one God declares his power and his wisdom so that if you never even had a Bible creation holds you accountable for example y'all with me here if you see a painting you can come to the conclusion that that painting has a painter It, you know, I don't care how uh, educated you are or uneducated you are. You have the ability to look up that say, you know what? If there's a painting here, that means somebody painted it. Right, right. Amen. You know, it didn't just, 
You throw a piece of paper on the floor, throw a bunch of paint on the ground, all of a sudden it all comes together and there's the painting. It didn't just happen. It didn't just take place. It didn't just evolve. Man has the ability to look at that painting and know there's a painter. He has the ability to look at the creation and know there's a creator. You may not have ever heard anything preached to you. But you can look at the creation and know there's a God. And know he's powerful. And know he's wise. And know that it's impossible for this just of all to happen or evolve by chance. That's why I'm telling you educated people are not always intelligent people. Because the evolutionists are some very educated people, but they're just not intelligent. You know? If you walk out there and you put a key in your car and you start the car, you look at this car, you know, put two and two together. If there's a car, somebody had to manufacture the car. This car didn't just happen. So you can be in the forest somewhere with no clothes on. And understand that if there's a creation, there had to be somebody who made it, who created it. You don't have to be educated to come to that conclusion. And it's so large and so vast that whoever created it has got to be powerful. And then if I look at myself and I'm a me, that means whoever created this has to be a me also. It couldn't be an it. Had to be a me. Just like me. So whoever made all this, whoever created all this, is very powerful, very wise. And he has to be a me. And I am. And I have emotions and I love and I hate. Come on. And if I do that, there has to be somebody who made me that loves and hates. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I go out here in my little garden and I pick food out of my little garden and, and I'm provided for. So if I'm provided for, that means somebody had to provide it. So that's what God is saying here. Is that the whole creation declares there's a creator. He's wise and he's powerful. Wise, intelligent. Larger than me. And if I'm a me, he has to be a me. You getting the point? Now I can't walk out to a tree and find God in the tree. Because then I become a pantheist if I worship the tree. God is in everything. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you can look at the creation. And the creation will lead you to God. Might not know his name. But I know he's God. And in the heart of men, 
you were made to worship something larger than you. That's why they make little, you know, wood things and bow down to them. Ask a wood thing, and he talks about this idolatry here. Bow down to a wood thing and ask a wood thing for strength, and the wood thing doesn't have any strength at all for itself, much less give to you. Ask this idol to provide for you, and it has no power to even provide for itself, but you're asking it to help you. You're asking it to direct your paths, and it can't even walk itself. You're asking it to help you, but it can't even help itself. So they're bowing down. You know why they're doing that? Because they know there's God. They know there's a provider. There's no, they know there's somebody to strengthen them. They know. Come on. And they haven't been to the universities, and some of them have, and they're still monkeys. That's what I'm telling you. Educated, unintelligent people. Lord, help me today. So just because you've got an education, I'm not preaching against education, but I'm telling you, just because you've got an education, I'll make you intelligent. Some of the stupidest people, excuse me, <laughs> you're ever going to come across are educated people. God says, the whole creation declares. Got it? His eternal power is a powerful God. And Godhead, one God, so that they are what? Without excuse. But pastor, those people over in the backwoods, they ever ever heard the word? What about them? They're under the wrath of God. The whole system is under the wrath of God. Not because they've never heard, but because they're a part of the old system, the old age. The lost condition of man. That's why they're lost. Do you understand? Because the creation declares there's a God. And if they really want to know Him, they can know Him. Because then they can say, okay, God, I don't know your name. But send somebody here to tell me your name. And God is light because God is light. He doesn't try to hide. God is light. Light reveals. Light declares itself. So you say, God, show me. God is... The faith that we preach is not a faith that is undercover, elite, and top secret. The faith we preach is light and light reveals. And so, if a man is in the backwoods somewhere, never heard the word preached, but he starts praying, yeah, I know, I don't know your name, God, but I'm going to pray to you. I know your creator, I know you're powerful, I know you're my provider. Now, I don't know your name, God, but I'm going to pray to you. You get it? I'm going to pray to you. And I'm going to ask you to send me somebody to tell me your name. Come on. And you know that God can even appear to a man. I know it's hard for you to believe, but God can appear to a man in the Congo region somewhere, in a tribe somewhere. God can appear to them. 
and then send a missionary to preach the gospel to them? So again, the problem is not an intellectual problem, it's a moral problem. <clears throat> For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I'm telling you, this, we are a privileged people to hear this kind of word. This kind of understanding that is coming from the inspired pen of the Apostle Paul. We are a blessed people to understand what we're understanding. Come on. Here's the problem. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful. Which means they didn't want God in their life. It's a moral problem. Come on. But because it became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. <clears throat> Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We don't, I don't need God. I don't need anybody. I'm wise. I'm smart. I'll make my way. I'll do it my way. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Come on. I'm educated. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Do you understand? We know that's true. And all of this is running, man running from God. With me? I'm going to run from God. So they, I'm smart. But God says, no, you're full because you rejected God. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. So now, you profess to be wise, become fools, you know. And again, watch this. Everything, if you don't have God properly placed in your life, then everything is chaotic. Everything is crazy. Everything doesn't make sense. Let me profess themselves to be wise. They became fools. So now, instead of two plus two equal four, two plus two equal five. Do you understand? They have left God out. Of the equation. They've rejected him. They've suppressed his truth. Suppressed. I don't want you. I don't need you. I can do it myself. I'm smart enough. I can be my own God. I can run my own life. I don't need any God telling me what to do. Or how to live my life. Then you are a foolish person. The Bible says. And that's why a lot of people don't go to church. Because they don't want to be told how to live their life. Out of that book. I'm smart enough. I can call the shots. I know what. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. A person who rejects God, rejects his truth, suppresses his truth, is not a wise man. I don't care how educated they are or uneducated they are. Foolish. 
So watch this. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like an, a too corruptible man. So here is the results of somebody who lies under the wrath of God. They have rejected God, His Word, His light. And the first step when a man walks away from God is he becomes an idolater. And he gets involved in animism. He bows down. He worships idols. He worships the creation rather, rather than the creator. He bows down. He worships animals. Professing them to be, themselves to be wise, they become fools. Worship the creation instead of the creator who is God blessed forever. Are you with me here? They have given themselves to that old fallen condition that old beast nature so instead of acting like human beings they act like animals my wife the other day she is you know we have a situation now here in this area where there are a lot of uh, children teenagers who go to a particular school in this area that now uh, what this school district has done had just put all these what they would call delinquents and troublemakers in a local school around here in this area okay so they just put him in a prison house to retain all these these zoo I mean uh, you know they got a zoo now. I'm telling you the truth and, and since this has happened since they've done that we have problems constantly with vandalism Problems around the church, trash being thrown everywhere, you know, flowers being pulled up, sprinkler heads being broken off, and all kinds of things. And my wife, she breaks her heart. We're trying to do work of God here. We got all this going on around here, you know. And I told my wife yesterday, I said, the problem is the parents haven't raised them to be human beings. The parents haven't raised them to be human. And they will be animals. Until they're taught to be human. Because, you, because man has a beast nature. A fallen nature in him. Makes him act and live like an animal. And I said. They're not human. They're animal. Oh. Pastor I can't believe you. You would say something like that. I just did. They're not human. They're animals. Because they don't have truth. They don't have light. There's nothing in their life governing and controlling them. God is not in their life. The parents haven't put God in their life. Haven't disciplined. Haven't corrected. You better get, your, you better get control of your, your babies. You better discipline. You better put the word of God inside of them. You better preach to them. Because if you don't, all you got is an animal on your hands. And I know created in the image of God. Yeah. Don't, get, don't start splitting hairs with me this morning. I'm talking about the nature that drives them. I don't want to raise a bunch of animals. Because someday somebody's going to marry my little girl. Somebody's going to marry my little boy. So I better do a good job putting the light and the Word of God in them. And then discipline them when they don't follow that light. So they'll understand that God does judge. 
judges. And there are consequences. Watch this. See, you go away from light, the result is darkness. You go away from truth, the result is foolishness. But the primary thing, the first thing Paul says happens as a result of that, of this suppression of the truth, holding it down, is that they get into idolatry. Start worshiping God's creation instead of God. Are y'all still with me here? Now hang with me. The Bible says, verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Thank you. That's His wrath. Here's what I want you to see. This is the results of the wrath of God. Is when He gives them up. If He ever lifts His hand, that's His wrath. When God lets man have his own way, Lifts his hand. That's when his wrath comes. When he gives you your freedom that you want. I want my own life. I want my freedom. Whenever God lifts his hands and lets you be free to sin. That's his wrath. It's not when he took your job away or took your car away or whatever that you thought was his judgment. You could be prospering away from God. That's his wrath. If you could ever prosper away from God and God lifts his hand, he doesn't deal with you anymore, but he lets you have your way. That's his wrath. If he ever stops convicting you and dealing with you in your life, that's his wrath. It's when God gives a man up to what he wants. That's his wrath. I talked to you a little bit about Pharaoh and Egypt. God walks in Moses into the land of Egypt. And they are idol worshippers. They, in animism, they're in worshipping animals and all kinds of idols. And Egypt's full of that idolatry. And God walks in, in his goodness and mercy, in Moses. Declares the truth. Reveals, I am the true God, the one God of the Bible. I am that I am has sent him. And he's walking in as a representative of I am that I am. The one God of the Bible. Eternal God. From whom all things came. And they're caught up worshiping the idols. And God's goodness and mercy walks in the form of Moses into Pharaoh's palace. He preaches, reveals this one God of the Bible. And tells that man to let this one God of the Bible's people go. And Pharaoh says no. And then so God sends ten goodnesses to Pharaoh. I know we see we look at it as who fiery judgment and wrath you know the river now turning to blood frogs in the bed you with me here all of those things Ooh, that's bad no that's God's goodness trying to get man to turn to him it's God's judgment upon those idols and those animals that they worship that's God's goodness 
trying to get not just his people out of Egypt, but trying to save Egypt, trying to save the Gentiles as well as the Jews. So one goodness after another, the Bible calls them plagues. One goodness after another. Judging that idolatry. Why? Maybe man will flee to the true God. When they see that all these other false gods can do nothing for them. And Pharaoh, the goodness of God is there. Not his wrath in a sense. His goodness. When he's judging those idols. Because now God is here dealing with that heart. Dealing with that man. Trying to bring him to the knowledge of the truth. But, but, but Pharaoh keeps saying no. And he keeps saying no. So he suppresses the truth. He holds it down in unrighteousness. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem with Pharaoh. He says, who is the Lord God that I should obey him? Moses is revealing the one Lord God. And he says, who is he that I should obey him? And so what God does is, then he pours out his wrath. After first pouring out his goodness to try to turn the heart of man. Pharaoh pours out his wrath and the Bible says the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh what does that mean he gave him up he gave him up which means this that as Pharaoh is saying no there's still a little fear in him fear about this God this, are you here that's doing these things He's got a little reverence. He's got a little respect. He's got a little fear. But as soon as he says no and he suppresses the truth, then God lifts his hand. And as God lifts his hand, he hardens the heart of Pharaoh, which means he strengthens Pharaoh's heart. How did he strengthen Pharaoh's heart? Because as he lifts his hand, that little bit of fear that Pharaoh had, he loses it. He loses that fear. And he says, I will defy this God. I will. I will defy him. Whenever he got to a place where his heart was hardened, God had strengthened his heart by lifting his hand so that he no longer feared that God. So I'm telling you, it's the wrath of God is something that abides on somebody. Doesn't mean they're going to lose everything they got. They can prosper. But they've lost God's hand of conviction. His dealing in their life is gone. He allows them to have the freedom that they want. And if God ever lets you have the freedom you want, that is His wrath. If he ever lets you go, if he ever turns you over, if he ever gives you up, that's when you start worrying. It's not when. He manifests himself in taking this and taking that and taking this or dealing with you in this. 
and you're going through battles and you're going through conviction and God's dealing with you about the wrong that's in your life that's his goodness that's his mercy you need to say thank God thank you Lord that you wouldn't just give up on me thank you God that you kept dealing with me thank you for convicting me God because I kept trying to suppress the truth I've got a moral problem I don't want it Lord thank you for not letting me go thank you for not correcting me I thank you for correcting me. Because if you ever let me do what I want to do, then your wrath is manifest. You understand? So we have a misunderstanding about the wrath of God. We think it's all these cataclysmic events and things. But you know what those cataclysmic events in the book of Revelation are for? They're to turn the heart of men to God. Because the context, yet they repented not of their deeds to give Him glory. And all that judgment is God taking out of the way those things that hinder His appearing. Beasts, antichrists, false religions, nations, everything and anything that's in the lost condition of man. God taking it away. It's really His goodness. Seeking to get man to turn back to God. People read the book of Revelation. Oh God. He's such a mean God. Look at all this judgment he's going to bring on the earth. You don't understand God. That's his goodness trying to save us. Instead of sending men to hell. If you can ever be happy in your sin. God's wrath is on you. If you can ever be content. By living a life without God if you can ever get to that place and you can get to that place and you might be doing real good and your bank account might grow and you might be financially stronger and you might be doing pretty good in this life but if it's without God if you suppress God in your life you better get to God you better run and say God don't take your hand don't stop convicting me don't stop dealing with me I don't want your wrath manifest by giving me up. And so as soon as, when it says God strengthened his heart or hardened his heart, that's what it means. God lift his hand off of him of restraint. So that now Pharaoh can stand up with defiance against God. See, it is only the goodness of God that keeps me in check. Come on, church. It's the goodness of God that causes him to spank me. It's the goodness of God that, that, that makes him discipline me, corrects me. That's God's goodness. Ahab told Elijah, he said, You trouble, Israel. You're a troublemaker, Elijah. No, Ahab, Elijah is your best friend. Now, I know you don't like what he's saying. I don't know. I know you don't like the word he's preaching to you, Ahab. But Ahab, Elijah is your best friend. Because if God ever lifts his hand and lets you go, you are lost. See, man is so confused. Educated but unintelligent. Rejecting and suppressing and holding down the truth. 
Or we don't want it that strong, you know. So give them what they want to hear. Make them feel good. Tickle their ears. Tell them you'll never preach judgment. You put them under the wrath of God. Because they refuse to repent now. And you give a false sense of security to them. And they walk out of church happy, 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 happy. When they should be under conviction. Repent and turn to God. Preachers calling people to repentance. Calling people to righteousness. Calling them back to God. Relationship with Him is what should be happening. Not some kind of psycho babble. So all these religions and all these preachers, so-called preachers, pulpiteers, are nothing more than Baal ministers. Because I want to tell you something, in case you don't know this, study the history of the Babylonian religion of Baal. And did you know that Baal, his religion, was lawless? Did you know that? It was lawless. It taught no commandments. It taught no obedience. Told him, do whatever you want to do. That is the worship of Baal. You understanding these things? Okay. Good, 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 good. So, thank God. For his hand on us. Thank God for pressure. Thank God for conviction. Thank God that he doesn't let me feel good in my sin. Thank God he didn't let me go. Because every one of us are self-destructive. I don't care how young, how old, how educated, how uneducated, how wealthy, how poor. Everybody in this church is self-destructive. It's just the hand of God that kept you. From going all the way in rejecting of him and saying, getting out of my life, God. I don't want anything to do with you, God. And the sad part about it is, is when they say that they cry for freedom away from God, then they will find out that they become a slave of sin. And they find out the very one that they have rejected is the only one that can deliver them. And so here's the good news in all of that. Is that if that person does suppress the truth and reject God, at some point when they become a slave of sin, at some point, hopefully, that will drive them to God. So that he can make even the wrath of men to praise him. When and if it does get bad. You become a slave to that sin, a slave to that passion. See, we don't have, we don't understand, church, the depth of sin that is in us. We don't understand how wicked the sin nature is inside of this preacher. I tell you today, inside of this preacher and inside of you, we've got a nature in us. That if God lifts his hand off of our life, you are capable of doing the most heinous sin and most filthy thing, including this preacher that stands before you because of the depth of sin that is in us. We are self-destructive, but for the hand of God. Thank God he didn't let us go.
And he goes on from there and he says, the outcome of rejecting God is you become an idolater. And then after that, you become a homosexual. The progression, it's a progression away from God. Any nation, any society that rejects God and rejects His Word is a society that is full of idolatry and full of sexual immorality. A society where the passion of men for women cannot be satisfied. The lust, that's the result of God lifting His restraint. Lord, I feel the power of God here. And then, men with men doing those things that are unseemly. Women with women, men, melting men. And bestiality. Men having sex with animals. And sex with each other. And women having sex with each other. That's the natural progression away from God. So as our nation, you see it, manifests more and more. The lesbianism and the homosexuality. And we love the people, but the sin is destructive. The adultery. Men out of control in their passions committing adultery with other men's wives. That is the result of a nation who's turned its back on God. Don't tell me this nation is a Christian nation because it's not. This nation has turned its back on God. And the result is idolatry, homosexuality, lesbianism, and unbridled lust and adultery. Because we want it our way. We want our freedom. Leave us alone, God. Progression. He goes on. He talks about it. I'm coming to a close. Verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie. Do you hear what I said? You know who's primarily responsible for changing the truth of God into a lie? Preachers. They're pulpiteers is all they are. They're not men of God. Give us men of God. They're pulpiteers is all they are. Tickling the ears of men. And pushing them along. And congratulating them in their sin. They are false apostles. Deceitful workers. Transforming themselves into the angels. Uh, into the mysteries of Christ. You hear what I'm telling you? He goes on and tells us to change the truth of God into a lie. They lie on God, man. They have no problem lying on God. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is, who is blessed forever. They gave themselves over to Yetzir Harah, their evil inclination, instead of Yotzir, their creator. Instead of worshiping him, they gave themselves to their own desire. See, it's going to be self-will or God's will. That's where the battle is in us. My will or His. Self or God. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Gave them up. 
That's his wrath. This is the results of the wrath of God. This is Paul's midrash. His midrash on the wrath of God. His exegesis on the wrath of God. He said, this what defines the wrath of God. It's when he lifts his hand off of an individual or a nation. That's his wrath. And it's a present day wrath of God. It's his active involvement against sin. Watch. Even though women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge God gave them over. To a reprobate mind. A mind that doesn't have the ability to discern right from wrong. Capture. To do those things which are not convenient, being filled. And here's the bottom of the barrel. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. Some of you say, well, pastor, I... I haven't done the unrighteous things like fornication or wickedness. Wickedness is departing from God. Wickedness is not obey, oh, serving the Lord, obeying the Lord. That's wickedness. Covetousness. Pastor, I don't believe I got unrighteous in me or fornication in me or wickedness in me or covetousness. Really? But I've never broken the Ten Commandments, Pastor. I've kept the Ten Commandments. Oh, you have? Do you know the Ten Commandments were really God's love? I've never broken a pastor. I've never committed adultery. I've never stolen. I've never, you know. Any of those real bad sins? Uh, there's one in the list that will slay you. It's called covetousness. And it slew every one of us. It slew this pastor. It slew Paul. You might be able to go down the list and say, I've kept all these commandments, but you have broken covetousness. Because listen to this. When God looks at His Word, He doesn't just say, you know, don't do this, do that, don't do this. Covetousness is, have you ever wanted to? See, I might be able to say, I've never done that, but have I ever wanted to do that? See, if I've ever wanted to do that, then I broke his law. That's what tripped Paul up. He could lift his hand and say, I, I've kept the Ten Commandments. Oh, let me change that. Covetousness slew me. I didn't do it, but at times I wanted to steal. At times I wanted to commit adultery. At time, Come on. Have you ever wanted to? That's the question. You, you're tough right now. But have you ever wanted to? That's the point. That's the law of God. 
Yeah, boy. Everybody here now just throws up their hands and they, they're not self-righteous anymore, you know. Everybody is in need of a Savior. Everybody needs the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation. He's the answer. Jesus is the answer. Power of God is Savior from idolatry. Savior from homosexuality. See, this is good news right here. He'll save you from homosexuality. He'll save you from sin. He'll save you from adultery. He'll, come on. He'll save you from lesbianism. He'll save you from wickedness. He'll save you from unrighteousness. He'll save you. Yeah. Have you ever wanted to? Got quiet in here, didn't it? See, and that's kind of where he goes from here after he deals with these, the Gentiles. And, and then he looks over here in Corinth as he writes the book of Romans. He looks over there in Corinth and he sees the smug Jew, Jewish man, carrying his Torah under his arm. And Paul looks at him and says, you're under the wrath of God too. Because you have the word doesn't make you right with God. Are you a doer of the word? Just because you go to church, America, with your Bibles under your arms, and you're so smug and self-righteous, doesn't make you right with God. You can be under the wrath of God. Only the doer is justified with God. Do you understand? Paul looked at it. He saw it. He was right there in Corinth. He saw all of this. Two temples dedicated to homosexuality in Corinth in the days that Paul wrote this letter. He could look and see the adultery and the immorality. In fact, Corinth was known as the bottom of the barrel when it came to sin. And that's the book, that's where he wrote the book of Romans. He saw everything. He saw the homosexual lesbianism, everything right there. The idolatry right there. In fact, if you really wanted to hit the bottom of the barrel in sin, Corinth was the place to go. In fact, if you really wanted to just lay, leave all restraint, lay it all aside, and just go sin to the bottom, Corinth was the place. In fact, there was a statement made in that time, in that culture, if you really wanted to sin at the lowest level, they would say, let's go Corinthianize ourselves today. That means let's go sin to the bottom of the barrel. I'm going to Corinthianize myself today. I'm going to cast off all restraint. That's how, and that's what Paul said, and he's writing in the environment of that. But here's the good news. He said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Jesus is the one that will save. Let me finish reading and I'll close. This is truth right here. I preach to you the Word of God. I'm not preaching to you from a funny book. I'm not preaching to you psychology and philosophy. I'm preaching to you the mind of God. This is, this is what I won't preach. I'm not going to run from God. I'm, not, I'm hopefully not going to try to lead you. Running away from God. 
You know, the, you know how you can flee from God? You know the only way you can flee from God is to flee to Him? That's the only way you can flee from Him is to flee to Him. You don't understand, do you? When I see Him in the book of Revelation, those eyes, red, flames of fire. Make me want to fall down. Make me want to run. No, no, no. The best way to do it is don't run from those eyes. Go up to those eyes and embrace Him. Say, Lord, I love you. I bow myself to you. You ever start running from God, rejecting God, you set His judgment, which is already set, active against your life. And If you keep going your own way, He may give you up. That's His wrath. Are you with me today? Idolatry, homosexuality, lesbian, unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, that is, an evil-minded, full of envy, jealousy, murder, debate, deceit, lying and cheating and malignity, whispers, that's gossiping, uh-oh. Backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, that means violent. We need to be violent for the gospel, not violent. Murderous, proud, say proud, proud. spiritual pride or otherwise. Pride, that's all, manifestation of the flesh. Boasters. Inventors of evil things. Inventing ways to be evil. Not running from evil to good, but running from good to evil. Creating new ways to do wrong. Disobedient to parents. Are you here with me? Without understanding, this book is what? To teach you, your, to give you understanding about your standing. Your right standing with God. Did it make a difference? Yes. What did it change? He brought me out from underneath the wrath of God. Without natural affection, or no, let me, without understanding, covenant breakers, people, you can't depend on people these days. Covenant breakers. Without natural affection, implacable, that means unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, look at this, they know it. They know the judgment of God. That they which commit such things are worthy of death. Not just to be lost in the future but worthy of death which means the people people that do those things Paul says worthy of death which means they are worthy to be removed from this life they are worthy to be removed from this world by these actions that's the way God looks at them you understand 
They which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. They enjoy it. See, that, that we have to be careful about because even as a church, we can see people involved in the immorality, the adultery, and the homosexual, lesbian, all, you know, all this stuff. Maybe not lesbian or maybe not homosexuality, but these other things, you know, and uh, people in their sin and their rejection of God. If we're not careful, we find ourselves enjoying that, having pleasure in the sins of other people. That's serious, man. See, we've got to be careful. You see, because even the man who's right with God has to constantly keep his heart in check, keep his life in check, to walk in righteousness, to not come up underneath that wrath of God again, or to give himself to that old lifestyle, that old Adam, that lost condition that God brought him out of. All of us, have to be on guard. That's why we got to be praying. We got to be walk close to God. If you don't, if you don't walk close to God, the weaknesses of other people will destroy you. And not just the weaknesses of other people, but your weakness will destroy you. I got a weakness. I have weakness. I'm telling you, I have weakness. If I don't walk close to God, it'll destroy me. And I'm born again. Called to preach this gospel. Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews says, You have not resisted sin to blood. You haven't. You know, we, oh boy, I'm under pressure. And I'm really fighting a good fight of faith. I'm really resisting this sin. I'm rejecting. I'm fighting. You haven't fought it to the place where you've given your blood. You've shed your blood. It's so hard. Oh, really? You had not shed any blood for it, have you? Have you shed any blood for the gospel? Have you shed any blood resisting sin? Rejecting the sin? Fighting the sin? Have you lost any blood over it? I haven't. But that's the battle we're in. That's the war we're in righteousness and that's why I'm telling you since I started preaching the book of Romans the messages I have been preaching on Sunday night have been more fiery and Wednesday more fiery and more anointed and renouncing sin on a greater level and I sense the rejection and I sense the distance and sense the disfavor but you know what thank God that he'll walk in this house and he loves us enough to tell us the truth. Thank God he hasn't let the, the people who stand behind this pulpit get soft and preach philosophy to appease the flesh and the rejection of men and women that are there. I don't want to have pleasure. I don't want to enjoy those people who are heading straight into destruction. I want to preach the Word of God to them. And I want to tell them how to be saved. Because you're looking at a man saved by the grace of God. 
You're looking at a man, the longer he lives for the Lord, the more revelation he has, not just of his right standing in God, but I have more revelation of my debased nature and my fallenness. That'll make you, I don't know how to put it, but that, that puts you in a realm that's difficult. Because you understand your right relationship with God has been accounted to you and imputed to you. On the other hand, the longer you live for God, the more He uncovers what He saved you from. The more He uncovers what He brought you out of in you. And when He starts that work of sanctification in you, showing you what He saved you out of and showing you the sin that's in you, It's, 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 it's a realm I can't explain. And I'm sure that many of you go through that. You know what I'm talking about. And I close with this. I heard one, one minister. They don't have all the truth. But thank God they have courage. And they stood up, you know. And I'm trying not to call names. I would if God wanted me to. But I don't want to do it. One preacher stands up in his pulpit, thousands of people in that building say, I will not preach the judgment of God or condemnation upon you. I pledge that to you. And then I hear another preacher standing up. And she, I said, she. Got a call one time. Somebody said, Pastor, do you believe in, in women preachers? I said, no. I don't even believe in men preachers. He said, what? I said, no. I believe in Holy Ghost preachers. And this woman, she preaching. It would been nice if she would, would have been there at that big Houston complex preaching. She said, I'm sick and tired of preachers standing up and telling me how wonderful I am. How good I am. And how blessed I am. She said, I want some preachers to stand up and show how nasty I am. The pulpits today have departed from that. We've got good news. It's good news. And in the midst of all of that that I just read to you about, the righteousness of God stepped in. In Jesus Christ. He has the power to save you. Now you know what He saved you from, what difference it made. Look at all of it. Right there in Romans chapter 1. And so what Paul has done is, as we go through the end of the book of Romans, you're going to see what Paul did is he took the, took the wrath of God and the sin, the things he saved us out of, okay? Showed us things that are in that old nature. And on the, the backdrop of that blackness and that darkness, he places the good news. It's like that diamond placed on that black velvet. So you can see the diamond better. He shows you the darkness. And he shows you the righteousness. So you can see how wonderful God is. What God has done for your life. What difference it made. How it changed you. And what he saved you out from under. Shows you the blackness first. So you can see how wonderful it is. Let's stand. Lord, I'm just so thankful. I feel your, your goodness here today. Your mercy. Your grace. Your presence. Right here. Right here, right now. 
Thank you, God, for the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. And such were some of you, but you're washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He has declared you righteous and then showed you what the difference is. And Father, thank you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for regeneration, the, the new birth of water and the Spirit that we've experienced. Thank you for making the change. Thank you for showing me the difference. I love you. That's why I serve you. I ask you to cleanse me of my hypocrisies. My two-facedness. My double-mindedness. I need you today, Lord. I need you every day. Without you, I'm nothing, Lord. Continue to restrain the fallen nature in me. I pray for this church that we will walk in righteousness and holiness. I pray for Odessa, Texas, salvation. The new birth would come to people who are entrapped, enslaved by the freedom that they wanted. Lord, we don't stand before you in self-righteousness right now. We stand before you thankful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We don't stand here better than anybody else, Lord. We stand here knowing our need of you. Help us not to suppress the truth, the righteousness and the light. Help us not to hold it down. Because we want our flesh to be comforted. We love you and we praise you for the word of a living God. Your spirit, Lord. Your salvation and your righteousness that has stepped into this congregation this morning. Into Odessa, Texas. Give you glory, honor, and praise. Lord, I pray this young man, this man that I've made reference to today that you would anoint him that a spirit of revelation and anointing would come upon this man and Lord even if he loses large buildings let him stand and declare the word of God the gospel, the truth to people Lord I pray Give him the strength and the courage. And Lord, I believe he is sincere. That he, he's sincere. And he wants to do what is right. And he's sincere. And I pray, Father, give him understanding. Help him to help those that he's leading into the kingdom of God and righteousness and holiness. And those God across America and this nation, the world abroad.
apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers all across this earth, God, that are standing up and declaring the word of the Lord. Bless them with fruit, with souls, with righteous people. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight. Remember, at 5.30, we have prayer. Let's talk to God. Let's get full of the Spirit tonight, okay? In Jesus' name, love you. Good to have you with us this morning. It's good to have Mr. Brock.